SportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Show. An in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Playoff baseball hits Cleveland this week on Thursday. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Hard to believe that we started this show back the first week in March when spring training opened up and the regular season is over. Mark, as we come down to you, our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, I've got to tell you that when I talked with Greg Mitchell, our producer this morning, he said the most disappointing words that he heard out of Marty Brenneman's mouth yesterday at the end of that St. Louis or at the end of that Cubs game was the 2016 Major League Baseball season has come to a close. Those are the the, the saddest words to hear. Not if you're a Reds fan. <laughs> uh, no, I disagree. That those are not sad words. It's a sigh of relief, and let's get this behind us. Uh, the Reds won four more games this year than they did last. At this rate, they'll win 100 games in about 45 years. But uh, they're, they're, the, the Reds are a story that has uh, no ending in sight. There, there, there is nothing that any reasonable Reds fan can look at on this roster and in the context of the competition they're going to face from the Cardinals, the Pirates, and the Cubs uh, over the next five or six years. The, 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 really, Dave, there's nothing to indicate that this team is going to be competitive in the foreseeable future. You'd have to you'd have to impute some kind of major major change in their ability or their willingness to spend money in the free agent market uh, because they they did not improve this team through trades. So it's going to be through the draft, which takes several years to you know reach fruition, or they're going to have to spend some money because the, the the numbers on this team are really frightening in terms of what they did this year, but we can get into that more later. Yeah, we're going to get into the Reds here in just a little bit as far as what they're doing. Brian Price will be back. Joey Votto, what a second half he had. But let's start off, Mark, with the Indians because they are in the playoffs for the first time since 2013. It's the second time since Terry Francona became manager of the Indians, that they will be in the playoffs. But this is a little bit different than 2013, Mark, because we don't have the one game to get into what I term the real playoffs. This time we're in the best-of-five series against the Boston Red Sox. And, of course, Kurt Schilling, that bastion of baseball brilliance, he came out right away today and said there is absolutely no way that the Cleveland Indians can beat the Boston Red Sox in a three out of five series. Well, let's see if we can. Yeah, you really have nothing to lose. I think Boston is favored in that series. Uh, and that's, that's the kind of situation you want. <laughs> you know, you go in as the underdog. Uh, and I think if, I'm not sure that would be the case if the Indians had their full complement of pitchers. But, uh, you did surprise me today by saying that you might have a catcher back. 
Yeah, we've got Jan Gomes back. He definitely is back. He's going to make the uh, the roster for at least the first series. What was funny, Mark, was Jan Gomes, Gomes on Friday was taken off of the 60-day DL, which he was eligible to come off about a month ago. But because he was hit by a pitch in his last rehab game down in Columbus three weeks ago and fractured his wrist, they did not bring him up. Well, after working with him and working with him behind the plate, swinging the bat, Tom Hamilton on the game Friday night when they put him into the game in the seventh inning to catch, he said all the Indians were going to do was let him catch because it would not be a detriment to his right wrist. So then he caught again Saturday a couple of innings. And oh, wait a minute. Sunday, lo and behold. Hold on a second. How could it be not a detriment to his right wrist when he's throwing right-handed? Uh, because he doesn't have to break his wrist when he's throwing to second. What do you mean? Of course you I never broke my wrist. wrist when I threw it through to second base as a catcher. I was always you catching do? Throw a pop-up? straight, straight uh, wrist. I, God, I did I don't know how it's possible to throw without breaking your wrist at some point. Well, that, what I they said was it wasn't a detriment to his throwing. Okay. But then Sunday, lo and behold, he was back in the lineup, starting lineup. And his first at bat, first pitch, bingo, off Ian Kennedy, two-run home run. And what a way to, way to, to uh, come back. Boy, I can speak tonight. What a way to come back. He ended up going one for three. That was his only hit. But nonetheless, hey, you know, I told you a couple of weeks ago I thought maybe Gomes needed some time away from the game. Maybe this injury came at a pretty good time. You know, the last three weeks, Mark, the news has been generally bad for the Indians with the Carlos Carrasco injury, Danny Salazar, Jan Gomes, Michael Brantley may not be back until a couple of months into the season next year. But now all of a sudden, Salazar could be on the roster this Thursday. They had him throwing off the mound in a simulated game yesterday. Said everything felt good today. He may be on the roster. Gomes looks like he's going to be back on the roster. So here the last few days, things the tide has somewhat turned toward the Indians as far as good news is concerned. And they need it, considering they open up Thursday night at home at 8 o'clock against Boston in Game 1. Dave, what's going to be the starting rotation for those first three games? The fir- Well, we know the first two. Actually, the Indians know the first three. Boston has not announced who their starter will be in Game 3. But in Game 1, it will be Trevor Bauer, who won the most games this year in his career, against Rick Porcello for the Red Sox. Then on Friday night in Game 2, it will be Corey Kluber, 18-game winner, against David Price, the key free agent that Boston picked up during the offseason. And he actually, he's had a better record this year on the road, Mark, than he has at home. So that should be a pretty good matchup. And then in Game 3, it's to be determined for the Red Sox against Josh Tomlin in Game 3, and that will come up on Sunday in Fenway Park. Is Kluber on his regular rotation day? Kluber will be on his regular rotation day, although uh, I think they're going to hold him off. Technically, Mark, I think he's one day beyond it, is what they said, but um, it would be just like giving him an extra day off. They decided they wanted to go with Bauer because that would be on his regular rotation day. They wanted to give Kluber 
another day off to get that groin injury healed up a little bit better. It wasn't as severe as what they had thought it was, and he was throwing on Thursday with relative ease off the mound and said he felt good the next day. So I think he's ready to go. Well, that's that, that's a great starting rotation, and, and you know, if you you would have had what's his name, Contreras, um, Carrasco. I, I mean Carrasco. Uh, if you had Carrasco, that would have been an interesting decision. Who oh. would you, you know, you, you know, that might move Bauer back to number three. Oh, it would have easily. Yeah, you you probably would have had Carrasco start game one, Bauer start game three. Yeah. You'd have flip flopped them. But you know what, Bauer is. As, as, I, I can't really put my finger on it, but as goofy as he is and as idiosyncratic as he is can be at times, you put that kid in a pressure situation and he always seems to pitch better. If it's just an everyday run of the mill game, I mean, for example, his record after having a terrible start, he's unbeaten. After having a bad start, he is unbeaten this year. He pitched in that 19-inning game against Toronto in which the Indians won their 14th in a row. And he ended up pitching six innings in that game, coming back on just three days rest. He pitched lights out in that game. In other words, what I'm saying is the more pressure on this kid, the better he seems to throw. And I'm hoping that's what it is in game one. I have to give it to the Indians for being patient with him because... There was a, a school of thought that uh, this guy was the head case, and he would never grow up, and great arm and, and small brain and all those things. But uh, the Indians stuck by him, and I think it, it's paying off. I mean, I, I saw him pitch a couple of years ago, and the, the way the ball comes out of his hand and his motion to the plate and his velocity and his presence on the mound, he really was a big league pitcher without a big league brain, and uh, <laughs> it seems that his head's caught up with his arm. Somewhat. Yeah, he still has the little tendencies that tend to drive everybody crazy. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Steve Fiziak, who was doing the play-by-play on Saturday night of the Indians game at Kansas City on Fox Sports 1, he made the comment that, Bauer has been doing this long toss from the right field line to the left field line. If you ever watch him do it, it's it's amazing to watch him, not only before starts, but in between starts. And he'll do the long toss literally from the right field line to the left field line. And he's been doing that since he was 10 years old, Mark. And his feeling was if he could throw it that far, then he could figure out what, how to adjust his pitches on the mound from 60 feet, 6 inches. Now, whether or not that's the case, who can argue with him? Because he seems to think it does, and he's the guy that has won 12 games this year. Well, he certainly has the arm for it. And, you know, arm strength is <laughs> is acquired many different ways. You can throw it, you know, long toss. I've, I've heard that theory of long toss that way. And a lot of old timers used to do that. Uh, they would throw long, long toss. Uh, I remember, I think it was Walter Johnson uh, could throw a long toss. And I was at a Reds game, I think it was in 1993, 94, something like that. And Rob Dibble was on the mound. And <laughs> I forgot now how he got the ball back. 
but somebody got a game-winning hit, or got a hit. That's right. It was in the top of the ninth inning, and they got a hit, and he got the ball back, and he was he was so mad that they were taking him out of the game, and he turns around and throws the ball over the center field fence. <laughs> well, it was 404 feet to the center field fence, and there was a 20-foot wall or 18-foot wall. He threw it over that up on, if you've ever been to the Riverfront Stadium at the time, so guys who pitch in the big leagues have really strong arms, <laughs> and they can throw a baseball a long way. But that's that's throwing a baseball well over the length of a football field. I mean, that's way beyond that. So if Bauer can do that, more power to him. Well, before we get back into the Reds and the Indians, the playoff schedule has been set. Um, the wild card games will happen tomorrow at 8.30. Baltimore will play at Toronto. Mark, who do you feel is the best team out of those two? Well, I think Toronto is, but, uh, you know, Baltimore has been surprising people all year. I don't know what you think about it, but, you know, at Toronto without hitting, it's hard to bet against them. Uh, but Baltimore, I didn't think Baltimore had a chance to win it this year. I thought they'd, I thought they'd be good. But did you think they had a chance to win the East? Uh, as far as winning the East, let me take a look at my, predictions here because I, I actually forgot. I had them second. Yeah, I, I had them second this year behind the New York Yankees. Shows you how much I know. Um, but Toronto, you know what? I, th- I think they're the better team also. I think they're going to win that. It's, of course, it's the one-game playoff. Then the big one is the San Francisco Giants and the New York Mets on Wednesday. That's Madison Baumgartner against Noah Syndergaard. Well, you talk about a pitching matchup right off the bat, Mark. That's it. You know, I think the Mets, to me, are the biggest surprise this year. And I, I think, oh, yeah. I mean, I think that manager did a great job for them, Terry Collins. And the, the idea that they could lose four starting pitchers like they did and come back and win that division. Now, granted, it's not a great division, uh, but it's, it's, it's you know, <laughs> they had to go out and win, and they did. And he kept the team together. And, you know, did you see what Jay Bruce done, has done the last couple of weeks? Yeah, he's, he's suddenly turned it on, hasn't he? Yeah, and he's capable of that. I mean, if you, if you get Jay Bruce on an uptick, uh, I think he, the last I heard, he had three home runs in three games and drove in nine or ten runs or something crazy like that. Uh, he's still hitting only 205 or something, but, uh, but he can carry a team. And if Jay Bruce gets hot, with the other hitters they have in that lineup, that the Mets could surprise. I mean, I I don't expect they're going to win the World Series. I don't think they'll get beyond the one game playoff, but uh, they could. I mean, with, <laughs> they've done they've surprised more people this year, I think, than any other team. Mark, do you think? I mean, the Mets ace this year, believe it or not, has been Bartolo Colon. Yeah, that's amazing. He's fifteen and eight. Do you think he could win the Cy Young? No, I don't. Uh, there's too much good competition on the Cubs, and you know. Well, you know what? Much. I was looking at that. John Lester's the only guy that's got a better record. Yeah, but look at the ERA. Uh, the, the, the other guy pitches for the Cubs. Arietta. No, um, the guy who pitched against the Red yesterday. He had a 198 ERA going in. Oh, okay. Now, there's too many other guys that I think are more deserving, but uh, Bartolo. You know, it, it, it's fascinating to me that this guy tops out now, 
at 88, 89, you know, he, he can get up to 90 sometimes. But 85% of his pitches are fastballs. And I saw him pitch against the Reds, and he he was painting the corners. He doesn't throw a change. Uh, he doesn't throw a breaking ball, but he'll throw a two-seamer. He'll throw a four-seamer. He moves both sides of the plate with his fastball. And it just proves you don't need to throw 100 to win. Right. Yeah, he he's amazing. So so who do you take in that matchup the very first game, Giants and Mets? Uh, you know, it's, it's such a coin toss. I'm going to go with the Giants only because of their experience, and it's their turn to win. It's an even number of years. So they're, <laughs> they're probably going to win the World Series. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that the, the Mets continue to to get through one more game. But, boy, if Baumgartner's on his, uh, Baumgartner's on his game, he's awfully hard to beat. Yeah, he really is. So the winner of the Baltimore-Toronto series goes to Texas to take on the Rangers. Boston will play Cleveland. Now, the American League series, the first two games will be held in Cleveland and Texas on Thursday and Friday. Now, I don't know who just walked off of a drunken stupor for Major League Baseball when they came up with the times for these games, but on Thursday... Texas is going to open up in the afternoon when it's normally about 90 to 105 degrees down there. And the Indians are going to open up at 8 o'clock in game one against Boston. They're going to be ta- they're going to be going up against Mark, Amy Schumer, who is doing a comedy show at the queue right next door on Thursday night. And it'll probably be about 55 degrees outside. In Cleveland, and then on Friday, then they flip flop. Texas will play uh, at eight o'clock, and the Indians will open up at four thirty. I don't know who schedules the times for these, but we both know why the Indians are playing at night on Thursday night, and that's because they're playing Boston. Yeah, it's all TV. I mean, there's there's no question about that, and it, it will be. You and I talk about this at the, at the beginning of the year when you have Cleveland opening at home in San Diego. Uh, and rather than going to San Diego or someplace to play or play the Angels, uh, they open in Cleveland. As you know, rather than going to LA and play, <laughs> it makes no sense. I, I I wish somebody would explain it, but I certainly can't. Yeah, it's it's tough to do. Now, in the National League, the Dodgers are going to Washington for the first two games. Those will be held on Friday and Saturday, and the wild card winner between the Giants and the Mets go to Chicago to take on the Cubs on Friday and Saturday. And then, of course, they flip-flop for the next two games. Washington has the home field advantage, the Cubs. Cubs have the home field advantage throughout the entire National League playoffs. The Rangers have the home field advantage for as long as they go. If they go into the World Series, they've got the home field advantage, but the American League gets the home field advantage in the World Series no matter who comes out of the American League. Mark, I'm... you know, this this is a situation where it really starts getting fun now, but it also starts starts to get, become uh, nail biting time. Yeah, and if you you know, you and I always talk about our predictions, and it's so hard to do that in the playoffs because one team can get hot, and uh, they're not the best team. I look at the Giants when they've won the last two or three times; they've not been even close to being the best team, and they win the World Series. But the team that I think you have to be afraid of if you're in the National League, and particularly if you're the Cubs, it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers, if Kershaw is healthy, 
they have an opportunity to sneak in and, and win the whole thing. I, I really, they're my underdog pick. I know they're not favored. The Cubs, back, you know, here anyway, over the weekend when the Cubs were in town, uh, you heard a lot of people talking about the Cubs during the game and their chances to win the World Series. And they're in a position now that anything short of winning the World Series is going to be a disappointing year. Everybody in Chicago, and I have tons of friends up there, I talked to three or four of them today, they fully expect the Cubs are going to go run roughshod over this, this playoff uh, the next two weeks, and they're going to win the World Series. Uh, one guy said today, he said, they're so good they may sweep everything. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I told him that. He didn't like to hear it. But I think the Cubs, they, I saw them play three games this weekend. They're a really good team that I think can be controlled offensively with really good pitching. And we'll see what happens. But, man, their guys, they swing from the, you know, they swing from the their heels. butts every time. And yep. I, I see a lot of holes in those swings. And, uh, you know, I really like that team. They're my second favorite team, I guess, in the National League after the Reds. And I, I lived in Chicago for 10 years, so uh, I, I hope they win. But I think there's a lot of teams out there. I, I think Boston's better than Chicago. And, again, in the playoffs, if you get in a, in a five-game series, you get to face Kershaw twice. I don't know. I think Kershaw would tie that team up. Mark, if the Cubs don't win the World Series this year, they may never win it. Well, I wouldn't go that far because they have a <laughs> tremendous amount of talent. But, you know, you and I have talked since the beginning of the season how cool it would be to have in the World Series Cleveland and Chicago. Two organizations that have not won it for a long, long, long time. The Cubs much longer than Cleveland. But, uh, you know, for, for Chicago fans, it's going to be a heartbreaking year if they don't win. And that's, that, that's the expectations of that team. But I'm telling you, I, I think they're very vulnerable. And I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they can, you know, hang in there and, and perform. But, I mean, you look at the way that these guys go to the plate and the free swingers they have, a good pitcher with good coaching, they're going to pick up those those flaws and those swings. And these are great young players. Where I might disagree with you is that I think they are going to win it in the next two or three years, but it may not be this year. Well, the Indians finished 94-67, and 67, and for you math whizzes out there, yes, that is only – 161 games. The Indians had a game rain out last week that they did not have to make up, so they finish up with 94 wins against 67 defeats. The Reds, on the other hand, finished up at 68 and 94. They finished in last place, 35 and a half games out behind the Cubs. But Mark, I thought there were a lot more positives in the second half to this Reds team than there were negatives. Well, that's that's a relative statement that I can't disagree with. But that's only uh, on a comparison of what they did in the first half, which was the worst first half baseball in Reds history on a number of levels, including pitching, hitting. Uh, the only thing that wasn't horrible was their defense. It was pretty good defense. What What is frightening is that, that I don't see how this team dramatically improves, and that's where – you know, it's going to be up to the new general manager who should be taking over 
immediately to improve this team. So if you if you look at some of the things that the Reds did as a team, there's so, there are so many weaknesses in this in this team that you 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 have to focus on one thing because it would drive you nuts to have um, to, to go over everything that they they were faulty in. But the pitching alone, and let me point out one thing: this team set a major league record of giving up home runs. And they did it by, I think, 12 or 15 home runs. I mean, it wasn't even close. And for this team to improve, if you give up, I think it was 257, 258 home runs, uh, their bullpen, Dave, gave up 105 home runs. And the bullpen of those 105, 28 of them came on the first batter that the bullpen pitcher faced. I mean, th- these are these are numbers that are completely off the chart in terms of comparing them to other teams in baseball. So you could look if you say, "Okay, Dave Mitchell, you're the the uh, general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. What are you going to focus on?" That's pretty easy. My salary. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but it, but it's pretty easy because you you have to start with a bullpen on this team, right. and if you just improve the bullpen. You're going to pick up 10 or 12 wins. Forget the offense, the defense, the starting pitching. Just get a bullpen. And that yesterday, puts you up to 78 to 80 wins, Mark, and that makes you competitive. That makes you competitive, and people forget that. Let's say you, you you have 80 wins. Well, that means you're going to have you know 40 wins probably at the All Star break, something like that. And you're right. You're you're in the mix. You're maybe you're five games out or you're six games out, but but you're not. 22 games out like the Reds were, you know, at the All-Star break. It, it's that, That's no fun. And uh, I, I don't understand the mentality of why this team is doing it the way they're doing it. But when you trade away a Roldis Chapman and you can't name the players you got for him, you did something wrong. And this team has made so many mistakes at the front office level. And, Dave, what what, what is amazing to me that nobody got fired. Walt Jockety's going to be able to walk away from his job unscathed. That's right. And and with no, I mean, he did the same thing with the Cardinals, and, they, you know, good for them that they, they recovered. But this guy, nobody, what ticks me off about the press in this area is they don't call him on the rug. They don't call the organization on the rug and say, hey, guys, okay, you've had four years to rebuild. You're no closer to winning next year in 2017 than you are now. You, you, your bullpen is horrendous. Your, your pitching staff was horrendous. You, you had holes in the lineup. What's going on? What's, what's your, what's your game plan? And Jockety, there is nobody else that you have to look to. You look at the general manager, and yet nobody. I never read about it. These, these reporters around here. I mean, if this would have happened in Los Angeles or Chicago or New York, that general manager would be long gone. It wouldn't even be a discussion about it. And yet the Reds let him go off into the sunset like he did a good job. He didn't. He did not do a good job. And nobody calls him out. Arizona gave Dave Stewart three years, and he was gone today. He's gone. They fired him. Yeah, I heard that. 
you know, and they, they fired Chip Hale, their manager. Now, Brian Price is staying on, which I think is a good move, Mark. I don't know about his coaching staff, but I think this team did not give up on him. They continued to play hard throughout the entire second half of the year. Even through this final Cubs series, I thought the Reds played hard, and you've got to give Brian Brian Price credit for that. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think that Brian Price was, was, was given a bad team by the general manager. And I think they, somebody recognized that. Hopefully it was the, the ownership that recognized that. But, you know, when, when the, when the Reds, their offense isn't bad. I think they, they, they were in the middle of the pack in Major League Baseball. I think they were 15th or 16th in hitting. Uh, they hit enough home runs. They had, they had pretty good stats with, you know, runners in scoring position, all those metrics that you, that you look at. So it, it certainly wasn't the, that the hitting, and it certainly wasn't the defense. So again, it boils down to what makes Major League Baseball teams successful. Well, it's pitching. And the Reds were near the bottom in every major statistic in pitching. Every one. I mean, their whip was 145. I mean, that's, that, that's a, that's a runner and a half per inning all year. Their ERA was 491. That's five runs a game. Uh, I don't know who was number one. I think I think the Cubs probably. Then I, I think I heard over the weekend they were like 3.10 or 3.12 or something like that. I mean that's two whole almost two runs a game more in pitching. But the most amazing thing was the Reds gave up 258 home runs. That, that's, that's, that's 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 unfathomable. It's it's unbelievable. It, it's. You, you have to look at those things and digest that. I think with, with the Indians, 175, 180 home runs, something like that, they, they gave yeah. up. So look at the difference there. You know, 80 or 90 home runs more than the Reds gave up. That's just, it's unbelievable that you could have Mark, a team that Mark, if they would have bad. cut that total in half, let's just say in half, okay, would it have basically – Cut their ERA down to what do you think it would have been? Oh, it had been down, you know, probably in the mid fours, uh, maybe half a run a game, or maybe .75 runs per game. But but the other thing that is incredible is the base on balls that the Reds gave up. They not only did lead the league in giving up home runs, they walked 636 batters. The Minnesota Twins finished below the Reds. They gave up 479 walks. I mean, we're, we're talking the Indians. They gave up. Uh, let me see. The Indians gave up uh, 461 walks. The Reds over 600. So you, you look at those two stats. They lead the league in giving up home runs. They lead the league in walks. That's all you need to hear. That yeah, is going to be a team. That's a recipe. That's a recipe for disaster. And there, there's. And, and yesterday, Robert Stevenson pitched. And, and to me, maybe he'll come back and be a superstar. I don't know. But, Dave, that kid is not ready for the big leagues. And they have touted him. They have – he was the number one draft picker, their first pick. Uh, how can you be so wrong that your entire scouting department looks at this kid 
he was throwing 92, 93, 94, but his, his ball's flat. He looks like he has a, a real, I mean, he may not. This is all visual. He just seems to have a, a, a attitude, I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm here, I've made it, I'm a number one pick, he's got a couple million bucks in the bank. And he is a run-of-the-mill pitcher. And But he has been touted. How many years have you and I talked about him? Oh, at least three. Oh, at least three. And he has never performed. He's he never performed in the minors. He had a losing record in the in AAA. Mm-hmm. And, and they bring him up. He had a four I think a four thirty five or four forty five ERA in the minors. They bring him up, and he gets killed up here. So he, I think he went four innings yesterday. He's never gone more than six or seven innings. I know. Most of his starts, he goes three or four innings, and he throws eighty or ninety pitches. And he's the guy <laughs> that they're going to build their pitching staff around. So when you look at the Indians, what they have in their pitching staff compared to the Reds, it, it is like a the Reds are a double-A team, their pitching staff. They're, they're, I bet you the triple-A pitching staff of the Indians would have won more games for the Reds than the Reds pitching staff did this year. That's a, You know, boy, that that's an interesting thought there. I, I would have to go back and take a look at and see who they've had up and down between Columbus and Akron. But, you know, Marty Brenneman made the comment, Mark, towards the end of the game yesterday that the last three innings of the the final game against the Cubs was the synopsis of the 2016 Major League season for the Reds. Yeah, and he was absolutely right. Uh, it, it's a It's terrible when you lose games late. And I didn't bother to go back and look at 162 games, but I can tell you the Reds led in a lot of those games. And in, in, if they had the Indians pitching staff, they would have won those games. But they didn't. And when you lead the league, and you don't just lead the league, you kill the league in giving up home runs, and you kill the league in giving up base on balls, you're going to have a really bad year. So when this team says that they have bright Pitching hopefuls for 2017. I'd like to know who in the hell they are, because I don't see them in, in on this major league roster. I don't see them in Double A. I don't see them in Triple A. So where are they? Where's all this uh, major league talent they have? <clears throat> well, you know, I happen to like I happen to like a lot of the red starters. I, I happen to like three or four of the of the five spots that they've got open. Now, obviously, that's not depth. But if they could fix that bullpen, I think they've got I think they've got a, a lot of room for improvement. And let's face it, Mark, the bullpen's got to be improved from this year because it can't get any worse. Well, that's true. And but when you look at Dan Straley, now Straley had a very very good year this year. But I noticed his last five or six starts, he was getting by by the skin of his teeth. This is guy; he's not an overpowering pitcher, and I I like him. I like the way he throws. But he's the kind of pitcher that hitters can figure out. So I, well, how I many, hate but, to have, but how many years has it been, Mark, since he's thrown this many innings? Well, it's been it's been a while. He's been hurt. Yeah. You know, yeah, he came so, to the res as damaged goods, and I I I, I love Dan Stewart. I, I hope you know he is the guy who you know can lead this team uh, uh, next year. But if he if you go into next year. And he's your number one pitcher. You've got a problem. I think Desclafani will be their number one pitcher. 
Well, again, he came in. He got hurt beginning of the year. Mm. He, he didn't start until June. So you know, you, you have you have a lot of you, Brandon Finnegan. He's another guy that I like, and I think he can be um, you know, a real good pitcher. But he's not a real good pitcher now. He's he's a guy who has some potential, but if you took the Reds' pitching staff and compared it to the Indians' pitching staff, how many Reds pitchers would make your twelve man rotation? Your, your twelve man pitching staff? Mm. Uh, you might you might get Iglesias to take the place of McAllister. Um, Maybe that 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 would. Pr- and I think Singrani would probably make the team only because he's a lefty, and uh, Francona loves to have two lefties. Right now, he's only got the one. Singrani was a, was a terrible disappointment this year. I mean, he he just did not perform well out of the bullpen, and he he I think he in, in I think it was eighteen or nineteen times he came in, and the first batter he faced got on base. I mean, this is a guy who's supposed to be your, your closer. He he has been a big disappointment to me for the last three or four years. He throws 93-94. He's left-handed. But, again, he seems like he's in a coma. He throws the ball right over the middle of the plate. He's not developed a change-up. And unless he's a starter, I don't see any value for him in the bullpen. He, he's, he doesn't throw hard enough like Chapman to overpower somebody. And he, he, he was one of the biggest disappointments I saw this year. But I looked at your pitching rotation, and I looked at your bullpen, and I, I don't know them as well as you. But I was thinking, how many of the Reds pitchers, starters and relievers, could make your team? Well, I, like I said, I think Iglesias probably could take the place of McAllister in the bullpen. Um, I'd, I'd really have to sit down and think about it. But like I said, I, I think Singrani is a guy that could conceivably make the team because the Indians didn't have another a second left-hander, they were all the same as Singrani. So I know Singrani would have at least gotten a chance. But listen to what you're doing. You're you're searching for a spot for a guy who might be a spot reliever for you, a, a lefty, lefty right. on lefty. I mean, that, that's yeah, how weak. Right. That's how weak. I mean, think of their starting rotation. Di Scafani, does he make your staff? No. Okay. Brandon Finnegan. No. Dan Straley. No. Homer Bailey? Uh, not right now, no. That's right. That's, that's my point. Yeah. That's my point, that there's not one starter projected for next year, and the fifth the fifth spot is wide open. Nobody knows who's going to be But remember, there. Mark, the Indian staff from 2013 is completely different today than it was back then. So there could be a lot of changes made, even though Tomlin was on the staff in 2013, and Kluber was on the staff in 2013. There's still that's, three slots there that are totally changed. That's true, and I'll, and I'll concede that, that there may be somebody that we don't know is going to come through, you know, and, and be the next, the next thing, but it's not going to be Stevenson. And he was the, the great next hope, you know, to come up and be a, the number one guy. He's, he's supposed to be a number one starter for this team. Dave, he, he couldn't, he couldn't be a number one starter in a Triple A team, right? So the yeah, difference, I, I... The, the difference between the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds right now, and, and remember what was it? Three years ago, both teams are going to the playoffs. 
and we were right. excited about it. And but those teams have taken opposite directions. And yeah, they have. And, and the Reds have gone one way, the Indians have gone another way. And I know you complained about the ownership and then the front office of Cleveland, but they've done something right because of where they are right now. And, and the thing about the Indians I like is you've got enough youth that you're going to be back next year. You're, you're, you'll be competitive. You may not win it, but you're going to be competitive. Well, the thing about the Reds, though, is the one bright spot that they do have is Joey Votto and the way that he played in the second half. Well, uh, <laughs> I've been on this Joey Votto bandwagon, as you know, for a whole a long time. Uh, he, to me, is right now the best, one of the best hitters in baseball, if not the best hitter in baseball. And if you look at his numbers, what he accomplished this year, it, it's really, it's amazing. It, it, with, with a hitter who hit a lot of home runs hitting behind him, but hit 240 all year. So Joey Votto started off the season in the first two months. He was hitting 213 going into June. Now think about that. 213. He finished at 326. In the second half of the season, he hit 408. That has not been done since Ichiro did it. I think it went in 2013 or something, or 2003. That a guy hit 400 over the, the last, oh, was it, uh, June, July, August, last four months. Joey Votto, if you combine what he did in the second half of 2015 with what he did this year, his batting average is over 385. And that's with two months hitting 213. You take those two months out, it's over 400. This guy has a legitimate, he, he can hit 375, 380. And remember, Mark, in spring training, he was he was hitting the ball all over the place, too. Yeah, he was smoking the we, ball. And he has developed into a scientific hitter. And what's what's interesting, he chokes up a lot. But people, you know, you, you look at him and say, hey, he's, he's a punch and duty hitter. He had 29 home runs. <laughs> he drove in 97 runs. He scored over 100 runs. He had 34 doubles. He walked 108 times. His on-base percentage, 435. And when you when you look around the league, uh, and, and, and I, I hate to say this, but the Reds will probably trade him. And you look at the numbers, imagine what he is going to do if he's traded to Boston in that ballpark. He, he would, and you know, they're losing Big Poppy. I'm telling you, Boston or Toronto are going to get Joey Votto. It will not be Toronto. I'm telling you right now, it will not. Unless the Reds promise or, or build into this, them paying at least, I'm going to say 12 million of the, what's he do? 20, 25 million? Yeah, yeah, 23, 24 million, yeah. For, for the next 10, for how many? Next seven years? Uh, eight years. Eight years? Okay. Unless the Reds promise to pay 15 of that, I'm going to say right now, there is no way Mark Shapiro will clear for a deal for Joey Votto. Well, he may not. Not a chance. But, but you look at his numbers, and, and a team that can afford him like Boston or like New York, the Yankees, uh, this guy is he's the most underrated hitter in baseball. And you look at his career numbers. He's been in the league for 10 years, Dave. And every year he's hit over 300 except two. And that was he had 297 one year, the second year. And then he got hurt in 2014, he had 255. But his overall batting average is 313. His career 
on base percentage is 425. And this year, he exceeded his career averages in almost every statistic. So he's just now getting into his, his – and he plays first base, which, you know, he, he can play first base for another 10 years. <laughs> so I, 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 what could you get from Boston for Joey Votto? See, or I think from, you're more apt – I think you're more apt, Mark, to get more out of the Yankees maybe. than you are out of, out of Boston. Well, the only reason I say Boston is, number one, uh, I think they have a better farm system than the Yankees do right now. So the Reds have a chance to, to really get something for Votto. But it would be a tragedy to have Votto, who is clearly going to be a Hall of Fame player, play anywhere else because um, he, he, could, he could set records that will keep fan interest going for a long, long time. He's, he's, if he's with the Reds for the next eight or ten years, whatever it is, He's going to hold every offensive record for the Reds. He will be absolutely highest batting average. The only thing he won't have is hits. Pete Rose will have hits. But his career batting average is is nine or ten points more than Pete Rose. What what was – okay, this would be an interesting stat to look at. What was Pete Rose's batting average, career batting average, at this point in time in Joey Votto's career? How did they uh, compare that? I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look it up. But, you know, Pete had one really big year. I think he had 343 one year. Yeah, that was 73, wasn't it? Yeah, 72 or 73. He had, he had a big year. But he was not the, compre- the, the comprehensive hitter that Joey Bob was driving. He hit a home run. He was on base all the time. And, and, uh, and But, he, you know, Pete, Pete went up there hacking. He didn't walk a lot. And, you know, Joey Votto has walked 800 times, over 800 times in his career. He's on base all the time. He scores 100 runs every year. And I just wish people on other, you know, other markets, if he, if Joey Votto played in New York or Los Angeles, they'd already have a statue out front for him because of what he does for this team. He, and he's doing it alone. Everybody knows that Joey Votto doesn't get good pitches to hit. And he, you know, the guys in, in front of him are hitting 240, 250. Uh, so he doesn't have a lot of coverage in front or back. And um, his numbers are just, if people take a chance and take some time to look at what Votto has done, uh, this guy, to me, and I told you earlier today, uh, to, for those of you out there who are hitting aficionados, look at the MLB uh, program called 406. It's about Ted Williams. And Joey Votto is a huge fan of Ted Williams. He has studied him, read his books on and, and hitting and so on. And I, I see a lot of what they talked about yesterday with Joey Votto. The only thing I don't like about Votto is, compared to Ted Williams, Votto this year, he struck out 120 times. In 1941, when Ted Williams hit 401 or 406, he struck out 27 times. And they mentioned Votto indirectly yesterday. In fact, they had a on the, on the show. You'll see him swing. And they said the difference today is, like a guy like Votto, he strikes out a hundred times more than Ted Williams did in the year. Imagine if he just put the bat on the ball those other hundred times. How many hits would he pick up? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. 
Even if it's only and, and, 20 or, or 25 hits, you know, 200 or 250 batting average, that's still, that puts Joey Votto, another 25 hits, puts him probably at 380 this year. <laughs> and that's, it's he just unbelievable. A, he had a phenomenal year. But you think about what Ted Williams did, and, and you know, Joe DiMaggio struck out 13 times one year. I mean, the guys today strike out 140, 150 times, you know, no big deal. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 do, and you know, Mark, you 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 brought up the fact about um, Ted Williams and and four oh six. DJ LeMahieu, the Colorado Rockies second baseman, won the National League batting title with a three forty eight batting average this year, but he sat out, Mark, four of the last five games, according to now fired manager Walt Weiss and. What the heck took Colorado so long to get rid of this ding-dong? He was their manager for four years, Mark. Four years this guy was a manager in Major League Baseball. And he did nothing with the Rockies. The only thing he did was, I think, the three out of the last four years, the Rockies have had the batting champion. Well, they, they said playing out there adds 40 to 50 points to your batting average, and I think that's true. That's and it takes proven. about 40 or 50 points away from the manager's IQ. <laughs> it probably does, but uh, you know we were talking about Ted Williams and the Mayhews. Now I don't know if it was a manager's decision, or yes. well he took he took well he took credit for it. Well, I know he took credit for it, but the, most times a player can over. Hey, coach, I'm playing. I'm, I don't care about my batting average. Uh, I'm going to go out there and play. And for those of you and most of you who are a lot younger than me. Uh, didn't realize Ted Williams went into the final double header in 1941, and he was batting 399.6, which would have rounded up to 400. He would have been the first hitter in you know 20 years at the time to hit over 400. But he said, "No, I'm going to play. I'm not going to back into it. I'm not going to. Do, I'm not going to have my batting average start with a three, yep. even though it rounds up to four. He went out and laid." And you know what he did in that doubleheader? Uh, what, what, what did he go, six for eight or something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly, six for eight. He was four for five, I think, in the, in the first game, and then two for three in the second game. And his last, it was like something out of the movies, his last double, which sealed his, you know, his batting title, it broke the speaker off, you know, they had a speaker, <laughs> and... Uh, he, to tell you folks, if, if you've not read the Ted Williams story, uh, it was written, uh, about four or five years ago. It's 800 pages, but it gets into Ted Williams, the player, and Ted Williams, the man. It is a fascinating, fascinating story. And what Ted Williams meant to hitting, he was the Picasso of hitting. He was absolutely the best hitter of all time, in my opinion. And he had not taken away five years of his career in the armed forces. He, he would have said, he would have really, he would have killed Babe Ruth's record of 714, and he would have had a lifetime batting average of probably 350, 360. And he was just, he was the best hitter ever. And, and Joey Votto, I know studies Ted, and I hope he, he looks at that, that show and realizes if he didn't strike out as much, he takes far too many pitches. He, you know, he has a chance to hit 375, 380. Well, let's hope Joey Votto emulates Ted Williams in every way except the way that he ended his life. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know 
if you don't know, folks, if you you know, Ted Williams theoretically is still alive. Uh, his head is in a frozen cryogenic center in Arizona, and uh, I guess we'll be there in perpetuity until they find a cure for whatever killed him. But uh, his son put him in that state, and uh, as far as I know, he's still there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, but all right. So Walt Weiss is out as manager. Robin Ventura is out with the White Sox as manager by his choice. He he just totally resigned. Dave Williams is out as GM at Arizona. Chip Hale is out as their manager. Mark, are there any other managers that you think are on the hot seat in Major League Baseball? Uh, what's Mike Sosha's status? Oh, you know, how has that guy stayed? I don't know. The... I, I don't know. I mean, he has always been considered a great manager, but look at their roster. And it's it's not going to get better. I, I don't think they can keep Trout. Pujols is going to retire in a couple of years. Uh, how could you have those guys? And, and you you look at that roster over the last four or five years. Is has there been a more underperforming team in baseball? But based on expectations, no, probably not. You know, I'd really have to dig deep and look into that, but I would say off the top of my head, no. The Angels have been a team that have been just totally un- underperforming for years. Yeah, and, you you know, you asked the question, who else is going to go? You know, you don't know what goes behind the scenes, the decisions, but Mike Sosha must have pictures or something because you would think he'd be long gone uh, from that from that situation. Uh, but, you yes, know, he hangs in there. You think Paul Molitor is in trouble in Minnesota? Well, with that roster, uh, they're probably going to, you know, he's such a legend up there. They're probably going to give him more rope. But you can't have many seasons like the Twins had. I mean, they're going to have the worst record in baseball. Or was it they or Atlanta had the worst? Right. Um, so I don't know who finished last. But, uh, yeah, that team, you know, that, that, that organization – People forget they've won some World Series. <laughs> they've, they've won some pennants. It hasn't been that long that they were uh, competitive. So I think they'll give Molotar more time. But, you know, there's a lot of managers I'm not that familiar with now. That, that, that They've gone with a lot of no-names uh, to come in and, uh, you know, take over these organizations. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen next year. But, um with these managers now making well into seven figures every year, they have to perform or they're going to be gone. And with Brian Price, you know, you brought him up, and my only comment there was with the guy, he got screwed by his GM. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mark, we've only got about five minutes to go on tonight's show, and, you know, we spent a lot of time last week talking about Vince Scully and him leaving as the broadcaster for the Dodgers after 67 years. Yesterday was his last day. We did not find out until, I don't think I found out until, I think it was Wednesday, that Dick Enberg, who has spent the last three years as the play-by-play man for the San Diego Padres, was retiring after this season. Now, Dick Enberg is not as well-known as Vin Scully, but to be honest, Mark, he has had a career that you could arguably say, was more diversified than Vince Scully when you look over his career. Oh, absolutely. NFL football, he did the NCAAs. I don't know if he did the NBA, but he was, I mean, he, remember, he did the NCAA tournament for years. 
and was a great broadcaster. He was one of my favorite guys, Dick Enberg. And I can't, you know, I can't blame him for retiring in San Diego. Didn't have to. What a pretty nice place to live. But I thought he was always really, really professional. And yeah. we, we talked about this last week. How many great announcers have have hung it up in the last five or six years? And um, it, it's too bad because they really are professionals and. Most of these guys that I don't know, I, I just don't think they are at that even near that kind of quality yet. You know, Enberg also did UCLA basketball for years when John oh, yeah. Wooden was the coach there. Mm-hmm. He did the UCLA Notre Dame game, Mark. If you remember on NBC when UCLA had their eighty-eight game winning streak snapped. I remember that game very well. I remember watching it on TV, and I was a big UCLA fan. And uh, I was disappointed by that game, but uh, Inberg, as I said, he he done he had done a lot of in, uh, NCAA games. He did the tournament uh, for for many many years with and Billy it, Packer and Al McGuire. That's I was just going to say that was a great threesome, and those guys knew their stuff. But Inberg called a great baseball game, and he was one of the uh, he's one of the best. And I hate to see him go. Do you know who gave him his first job in baseball? Do you remember? No, I don't. Well-known actor, Gene Autry. Oh, yeah, he started with the Angels. Yep, owned the California Angels, then the California Angels, and gave it to Dick Enberg. You know, Dick Enberg's next project, he's going to Milwaukee, and he's doing a, he's not doing it, but he's helping, he wrote a one-man play, and he is producing it called Coach Al for Al McGuire. Yeah, no kidding. And, and they're, they're, it's been on Broadway now, I guess, for about a year, but they're taking it to Milwaukee because this next year in March will be the 40th anniversary of Marquette winning the NCAA title. Hey, good for him. Good for him. So that that's his next pro- next project. Mark, as we always do, this is an interesting question for you. Today in baseball history, mm. 1974, what happened? A very big day in baseball history, and I am not being facetious when I say this. Well, can you narrow it down for me and give me some kind of hint? The Cleveland Indians were involved in this. 1974, Cleveland Indians. And it has something to do with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, That's as big a, get, a big a hint as I'm going to give you. Well, there couldn't have been a trade at this time of no. year. No, there was uh, not. All right. Give up? I give up. All right. The first black manager in baseball history. Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson was named manager, player manager of the Cleveland Indians on October 3rd, 1974. Do you know how much he was making back then? A year to manage and play? Probably 50, 60 grand. I don't know. $175,000 a year. And do you know what he did in his first at bat for Cleveland the next year? Yes, I do. Go ahead. He hit a home run. He did. Very first in those bright red uniforms that That's made right. Boog Powell look like an <laughs> M&M peanut. That's true. Yeah, Frank, yep. you, you know, he, I told you a couple of weeks ago that Frank Robinson was my favorite Reds player, so uh, I should have remembered that. Mark, when we get together next Monday night, the Indians could be still playing baseball or they may be out of it. Well, because if they're out game of it, Dave, three will be on Sunday. If they're out of it, uh, I know you'll be depressed, and I'm here to, to help you, Dave. I'll do whatever <laughs> I can. 
And the Reds, do you know when their next game is? April 3rd. Well, I thought it was April 2nd, but we'll yeah, go maybe with April you're right. 3rd. Maybe you're right. And they're taking on the Phillies. So we'll talk to you again next Monday night, Mark. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for our show this evening. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. Don't forget, coming up this Friday night, we've got high school football action for you on UltimateSportsTalk.com as the Waynedale Golden Bears go to Dalton to take on the Bulldogs. We'll be on the air with the pregame show at 6.30 and the kickoff at 7. That'll do it for us tonight. So glad to have you along this evening on the show. We'll be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Go Tribe, and good night. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski.